0: I want to welcome you all to Pitstop, the fortnightly midweek rest area to refuel your drive. I'm Karen Cummins. I'm an audiobook narrator and chief cartographer for narratorsroadmap.com and your host for Pitstop. With me in the co pilot seat is my lovely friend and award winning audiobook narrator, Ann Flosnick, who hosts the Narrator Uplift show here on Clubhouse. How are you this afternoon, Ann? Is my cue. I'm great. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. Yeah. Every other Wednesday, audiobook narrators who have careers beyond narration pull into Pit Stop, and they are sure to inspire you to follow all of your interests and use your talents and gifts. I want to let you all know this conversation is being recorded. You'll be able to re-listen and catch parts you missed. And Feel free to comment in the chat and raise your hand in the app if you wanna be part of the conversation because we would love to hear from you. So thanks so much to all of you for joining us. I am super excited to welcome Amy Rubinate to Pitstop. Amy is an award-winning audiobook director, producer, and narrator. Her Los Angeles-based production company, Mosaic Audio, has recorded and produced nearly 3,000 audiobooks for major publishers. Amy casts and directs hundreds of books a year, specializing in directing authors and celebrities. Amy received her MFA in writing for children and young adults from Hamlin University, and her first-grade graphic novel, Kate and the City of Fire, was just released on Monday. So welcome to Pit Stop, Amy. We're so glad you're here.
1: Thank you. I love your voice. I love how you you softened it and made it excited when you talked about my book. I was like, "Oh, that's the most wonderful advertisement!" <laughs> Thank you. Well, I am super <laughs> excited
0: about your book. And in fact, I wanted to have you on this week because to celebrate your book, and we will get I to your book.
1: Appreciate that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we will get there, but uh, we have a few things on your path even before then. So, you know, I noticed sure. that you your degree is in um i had it right in front of you speech communication and rhetoric and mm-hmm. i thought well that's an unusual thing what did you originally want to do with that degree
1: well i gosh how did they even find it oh i was in um let's see i was at srjc santa rosa junior college and um i I had heard that the drama department department had some flaws at that time, and I was like, uh, I don't want to learn to act badly, so I, I turned to <laughs> And I heard they, had, I heard they had a because I wasn't, I knew that I didn't know enough to parse out like which information was helpful and which wasn't. So I thought, well, okay, I'll wait till I get to the four year college. And right now I'd heard that the speech team was strong. And so I thought maybe I'll focus my attention there. I had done some public speaking in high school. There wasn't a lot. It's not like now where people have forensics teams, speech teams and competitions. I Mm -hmm. I came from a small high school. I'm not sure that stuff even existed then. But, um, you know, I did like there were there were various civic groups that would host speeches every year. And I would do those. And I did a lot of. 4-H presentations uh 4-H demonstrations when I was a kid and you know it's like you do a speech with a bunch of poster boards and I always like won awards and had a good time doing it and felt a sense of prowess because I was able to use my sense of humor and make people laugh and like you know it, it was that first feeling of like getting an audience in the palm of your hand kind of thing um and uh so I, I felt that that was an area in which I excelled and, and I really enjoyed it um and I mean, one of my favorite things in life is to have people listen to me. <laughs> so so yeah. for somebody who likes to talk and has a lot of opinions, it's very gratifying. So um, I ended up on Speech Team and I loved it, just loved it. There was a lot, I mean, there were two kind of, well, there was there was like speech um, for like businesses. I can't remember even what that that was called. That wasn't at my JC, but that was at the four-year college that I went to. And it was like, you know, those people would go into teaching soft skills or sometimes hard skills at businesses. But what I really wanted to do is oral interpretation of literature. In fact, that was my sub-major. Um, you know, it was, it was like speech communication with a, an emphasis in oral interpretation of literature. So it's basically like acting with a book in your hand. And so I've never I was, even well, heard of that. As, as a oh, it's read. really fun. There's a couple of us. There's a couple of us uh, in the industry who... Um, um, uh, I'm trying to remember his name. It's, it's not coming to me, but there's, there's actually somebody tested on that today. Yeah, <laughs> there's actually oh, a Wayne, <laughs> Farrell. Wayne Farrell, he was on, um, speech team with me as our JC. And, oh, wow. um, yeah, so it's great, great training for what we do. It's, I, I was joked, it's acting with a book in your hand because you basically would hold the script and, you know, play all the parts and, um, you know, and I would, you know, I, I think I took what well, we do reader's theater where you'd take, you know, different theater pieces and weave them together into a a thematic show. Um, I did, you know, poetry, um, and prose, and I did some persuasive speaking and some extemporaneous speaking. Um, so anyway, all of that, it was just so much fun. And, um, I I didn't think about it at the time, but it was excellent preparation for being a narrator because, you know, you, it was a little bit like (laughs) dramaturgy. You had to figure out how to parse scripts and, um, figure out the focus and themes, and you know what emphasis to put where, and all, all of that kind of stuff. Mm. You you play all the characters, so it really was pretty very specific training for what I did. And so, um, so I'd go out every weekend, and I I like run from room to room. I was always like double booked because I'd do like eight things a weekend, you know, speeches a weekend. And then if you went on to the finals, then you'd be doing like eight of those, and it just it was really really fun. But I
0: remember you used to do a lot of singing and, and you no, talked about cabaret
1: oh, singing. Oh, say I think you shorted out. Yeah. At that time, then I went to a cabaret show. It was uh, Andrea Marcovici. Uh, and it was a big main stage show at the Luther Burbank center in Santa Rosa. And it was unbelievable. And I was like, cause I'd been kind of, you know, I did a lot of musical theater and I, I, th- I was like, Oh, you can put shows together thematically with, you know, blending different songs and doing medleys and, you know, creating a a story arc within your show. Like, this is what I want to do with my life. But, you know, at that point, you know, Cabaret was kind of on the wane. (laughs) So I had a couple great years in it. And I, you know, I got as far as you can get without becoming, actually becoming Michael Buble. (laughs) 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 um, And then I just sort of couldn't find my way into doing it as a career, which I, I later realized it really wasn't a career path, you know. No. <laughs> so, it was more of a labor of love. So um, uh, then I ended up doing um, voiceover, and kind of went from there. And then about I don't know, ten years later, I'm driving around the Bay Area all the time listening to audiobooks. I'm just just like making a frustrating life, wonderful, you know, those mm. times in the car, one of the great, you know, listening to like Grover Gardner or Cassandra Campbell or, you know, all these amazing, oh, Scott Brick, Simon Vance, Roslander, you know, Julia Whalen. all the people who came before me and I consider myself like old generation now. <laughs> they yeah. were before me, they were the originals, you know, and, um, you know, a week in the car with them would be life-changing and, and all of the places I was going to do voiceover. And then, you know, it's like, I borrow from Descartes. I, you know, I act, therefore I wait tables. So I would then go to my <laughs> catering job. And then I would go to my like midnight to 2am job at like the basement of a car dealership filing paper, you know, it was just like, I never have had less than like six jobs. So, um, I mean, you can look at my producing is pretty much doing six jobs too. <laughs> yeah, I Commonality there. Yeah. But, but those those times where I could be swept away, you know, and ex, um, as it say, exported, but that's not the right word, transported um, by a great audiobook with that—I always call it the alchemy of a, a great book with a the perfect narrator would become like its own art form, and it just really blessed my life. And I was like, man, I want to do this, and I want to give this to other people. And then all of a sudden, I was like, oh, <laughs> I've kind of trained for this, so um, that's how I got in.
0: Did you I remember you were in Scott Brick's contest. Was that oh the gosh. first was that the first yes. thing that you Yeah and that how kind of how you entered audio books or was there something yeah, Scott else? Scott
1: Brick had this thing called the share the experience contest and I don't recall if it was his thousandth book or if it was t- his 10th year in the business but whatever it was it was a significant milestone and so he had this really wonderful idea um he's he's such a man He's like really been such a, a big brother to, to the generations that have come after him my mom calls him that fine irishman <laughs> <laughs> oh. he's you know he's a, he's a great storyteller and he's also a, a kindly person and and he um you he really wanted to support the people that came after him. And so he did this contest and he thought maybe it'd be a hundred people or 50 people or whatever. And it was like 435 or 424, somewhere around there, people submitted. And I had just taken a class and met some friends, but I was really just dipping my toe in the water and. um I thought, well, how am I going to stand out in a sea of middle-aged women doing romance? So I thought, well, and at that time I was younger, but, but I, I was like, what am I going to do to differentiate? And I'd done a ton of, um, like talking toys and children's projects, animation, stuff like that. Um, that's kind of, that was my bread and butter up in San Francisco as a, as a voice actor. And so I, um, I thought, oh, I'm going to do, I'd really loved, uh. Sarah Malinowski's um, Frogs and French Kisses. It was like a little younger teen um, kind of romance. It was so cute. And um, gosh, I wish I could remember the narrator right now. She was so wonderful. So I just did an excerpt from that um, as my audition. And I think that it was a good strategic move because um, it did make me stand out. Um, And I I knew I could do authentic kid voices and, you know, um, not just authentic, but also modulated for the audiobook work, right? So it's not cartoony. You take that like 25% back. You still keep the reality of it, the the authenticity of the kid world and the kid voice, but you, you mod, m- modulate it back a little bit. You turn the dial a little bit down for audiobooks. Um, so you have the specificity, but not the broadness. Um, and then, um, yeah, and then I came in, I, I tied for third with Elizabeth Wiley. Wow. Um, yeah, but it was, it, it was as if I won in what it did for my career. Um, and, and now no one has ever, <laughs> no one has ever admitted this, but I suspect that, I suspect that Scott, uh, petitioned, um, uh, Dan Musselman to give me a shot because very soon after, um, uh, cause it, the winner got, you know, a job at random penguin random house. Right. But, uh, there was I don't think there was any such thing for the, the people, you know, the other people. So I, I, I have a feeling that, that there was, there was a beautiful, wonderful, generous string pulled for me. <laughs> and I got my first job doing um, a middle grade book um, at PRH. And then that, that was great. Cause I started at PRH. So I could tell everybody, well, I started at PRH. And then they'd be like, yeah, oh, me, you know, I started at the top. <laughs> yeah. <so. laughs> yeah. It really, it really was such a, a door opener for me. And, and, um, I'll never forget it. I'll, I'm always thankful to Scott uh, and now he's marrying one of my best friends. So I'm, I, I'm also loving him for that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and I remember I was at, I forget which APAC, I, I think that's where you talked about it, but you, how you researched publishers, because one book is one book and it's how you then parlayed mm-hmm. that into an actual narration career.
1: Yeah, no so oh, yeah, we could I've talk about that a, a
0: minute.
1: I always say I'm not the best narrator out there, but I'm the best hustler. Uh, I was always really good at getting where I was going, just through sheer chutzpah and lack of inhibition, like determination. So my my first proper APAC um, that year, and and in fact, uh, he announced who they announced who won at APAC that year. So I, you know, I'd been kind of practicing with my group of friends, we I always recommend this to people. Like find your people who are at the same place as you but like who have enough experience that you kind of trust their their both their business acumen and their acting skills. Like so you're not getting you know, when you get like a peer group of any sort, you want people that you can rely on that you that you believe in that you think are you know equally or good or better than you and and um so we did that. Um uh Rachel Fulgenetti and I had a, a, a small group of um People and we would do, um, uh, you know, peer group kind of stuff. We were friends, um, and so we would kind of be like, "Hey, how's this demo? What do you think? Should I do it in British?" And people would be like, "You know, no, your British accent isn't nearly good enough. Put your best foot forward." You know, anyway, like that kind of stuff. Or you know, I think you need to soften it up here, or you bled into the character voice. All the stuff that you know you have to figure out when you're starting out. And so we really helped each other, um, and. Um, uh, And then I went to that APAC in New York and I came like ready. There were no opportunities um, that, you know, there were no real given opportunities to perform. So I brought like six scripts with me and thought, well, if an opportunity opens up, I'm going to be ready. And then, when everyone else was going to, I can't remember what it was like the, you know, where the narrator, where a select group of high end narrators perform. I was mm-hmm. like, I listened. Cause I'd listened to like, I don't know, a thousand books before I started. Like I'd been listening for 10 years and I was listening avidly. I was doing like a hundred books, listening to a hundred books a year. Cause I was driving so much and, um, and I didn't have a TV. So I was listening a lot. Um, so I, uh, so I was like, well, I listen to these people all the time but if i go to the concurrent class for mic skills
0: someone amy i think we lost you 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 were saying you went to the concurrent session on
1: mic skills yeah my my alarm went off can you hear me now
0: we yes. can yeah couldn't hear the alarm but we now can hear okay. you
1: let me make it let me make sure it's turned off i i can never figure out which button is snooze <laughs> and which button is off they they, they make the snooze button huge and orange and then the off button is really tiny and far away so I always (laughs) hit the wrong one and then it keeps like annoying me for the next hour okay so um so I went to the mic it was like how to choose a mic session Mm -hmm. and I thought well there's probably going to be opportunity to perform here so like everybody went to this other thing It was like me and like I don't know 30 people in the how to choose a mic class but I thought well if, if there's going to be opportunity to get on stage, it's going to be here. So I did. And they were like, Hey, does anybody want to try out the mic? Do you-? And I, my, you know, I was like, Psh! my hand <laughs> shot up. I was like, I will. And then, oh, we I thought
0: like, that noise was you <laughs> mowing people down as you ran, to the
1: <laughs> yeah, <sponge. laughs> figuratively, yes, it was. And so, um, aggression has been my friend, uh, we'll call it asser- assertiveness, uh, yes. but, um, you know, friendly assertiveness. Uh, but, um, but then they were like, oh, shoot, we didn't bring any scripts, and I was like, oh, I have 10 of them, I did, and so, <laughs> so I got up there. And then um, uh, Laura Grafton, uh, who was at the time with Brilliance, um, like scouted me. So I went back to my seat and she was sitting behind. Me. She taps me on the shoulder and gives me a card. And she's like, hey, Amy, um, this is great. I'd like to work with you. Uh, I want to do children's books with you. And
2: um, and then
1: it, it still took a minute to firm up. So I always tell people they say, you know, audiobooks are marathon, not a sprint. But so is an audiobook career. <laughs> so it still took oh. like nine months. Uh, between then, I did my job with PRH, and then I did my first job with Brilliance, and then it was it was pretty much smooth sailing after that. Oh, but one thing that I wanted to add to the preparation part was that so I'd listened to about a thousand audiobooks, and this was in the years when, you know, this was still even before we were on the cusp of going all digital. It was like really CD oriented industry, and so um, this is back in 2009. Um, so I took maybe my, I was going to be my 50 favorites, but it ended up being like my hundred favorites. So I took, re-borrowed those from the library or from my own collection. And I listened to the, you know, the last track where it says who the producer and director are and where it was recorded and who the publisher was. And I made a spreadsheet and I put everybody I wanted to work with. And it was, you know, it was so clear right away. It was like, oh, I want to work with Grover Gardner. I want to work with Dan Musselman. I want to work with um, uh, Elgin, John McElroy. And, you know, and then I also had people I wanted to talk to. Like, I would, I had questions for um, John McElroy, I had questions for Karen Jakowski, um, who at that point had been Karen DiMattea before. And I'd said said to them, like, when I met them, I was like, "Hey, why are your abridgments better than the actual book? Like, what mm-hmm. are you doing different?" You know, because that yeah. at that, that time people were abridging and those were abridgers. And so I got information on. So so that was my first foray into starting to understand the industry because I. You know, like I still have people say I have still people have have people pitch me and they're like I work with Dion Audio. I was like I don't care who's hiring you through Dion Audio. Like who are you actually working for? You're working with Dion Audio, but who are you working for? You know, and and it would be like art and and people don't know. And I'm like you need to know that you're doing a book for Harper. You need to know that you're doing a book for Blackstone. That may be the you know the the company that's producing it or recording it, but. Where are you, who, who are you working for? Do you know your producer? Yeah. And and that's the thing is like that information is to me shows me that people have, have taken the time to understand the industry that they're entering into. They understand who the players are, what they do, um, how they're doing it, how the pieces all fit together. And that spreadsheet really gave me a leg up in terms of that. And so I approached my first APAC and of course, every APAC after that as if I were going to be a producer. And because I already had opinions about why certain things worked and why certain things didn't. I, I was also a casting director for children's toys um, and, and games. So I I did a lot of directing and casting there. Um, so I already kind of had a foot in that world. And I had been an executive producer on a, a regional kids TV show and a script writer for that. Um, it was very small potatoes. It was out of um, what, was now, what was then... Um, U.S., wait, no, UC East Bay. I can't remember what it's called. No, um, Hayward, CSU Hayward, which is now, I think, like, CSU East Bay. Anyway, so I had a lot of that kind of experience as well. And then I was, like, an event coordinator for a catering company. So I was used to, like, leading teams and thinking analytically. And, you know, I was used to being management as well as talent. And so I just kind of brought that perspective into all my work. Well, that just shows every moment has meaning
0: and you always take yes. whatever you
1: learn with you and it can be applied yeah. in other things. And My mom was back- a career counselor and she would always say that, like everything you've done has led to this. Yes. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. And, going back to and I talked talk to people
1: the- like, oh, sorry, go ahead.
0: Well, I was just going to say that going back to your point about the end client, I think people are, are reluctant yeah. to say i worked for Harper when it was Dion who actually, or Mosaic, who actually oh, them for that
1: book. <laughs> Well, yeah, but that's the thing is like, I mean, like I've cast, I've cast a hundred books so far this year. And, um, it was so funny. I was having a really down week and I was feeling bad about myself. and like, I wasn't accomplishing anything and just feeling stuck. I cannot know why you would think that (laughs) I was feeling really stuck. And, and I, I, I moved some books, some books that I would cast over, you know, I'd moved some lines of spreadsheet over from one, the casting spreadsheet to the has been cast spreadsheet. And I was like, Oh, holy shit! I've cast hundred books this year, and I felt so good. I was like, "Okay, maybe maybe I had a, a rough week, but like, look what I accomplished." <laughs> but but so out of those hundred books, I I I cast those, and I produced many of them. I directed some of them, um, but and I will take credit for my part of it when they win awards. But it's important to know that while you're working with me, you're working for the publisher. So. I, and I have a, I try not to take too much credit or too often. And like when there's an award, it's appropriate for me to take credit or when there's something that's really special to me, I'll, I'll post about it, but like, it's not my win. It's, it's the publisher's win and I am a vehicle, um, to make that happen. And so it's just really clear to me too, that, um, you know, I, I serve at the pleasure. Right. And, and I think that's important for narrators to know as well. I always love it, by the way, when they, when they do an at Mosaic and an at Amy Rubinate, like, thank you for casting me. It was so much fun working with you. I always, you know, get a big warm fuzzy when I see that and it makes me happy to get credit. But it's also important to know it's important for if you're going to do that for at Harper Audio or at Tantor Audio or whatever it is mm-hmm. to also be on there, because mm-hmm. ultimately that's the person who you're working for. Even if, even if my company is paying you through our union contract, that's the, the, the ultimate client is, is the publisher. And so the, I try to make those distinctions for new narrators. Like know, know the chain of command, know who you're working for. Um, you know, you're, you're at my studio. We may be the only person that you're talking to, but it's important, you know, and, and you can always look that up. If you don't know, if it's like a vacuum, when the book comes out, Look it up on right. Amazon and right. see who the publisher is. You can see who the print publisher is. You won't credit that person because sometimes you're not working for the print publisher. Let's say it's, um, I don't know, some random publisher and um, say Brilliance or Podium or whatever is um, has bought the audio rights and is doing the audio book. That person would be the audiobook publisher. So you wouldn't be like at Hachette. Because they're the print publisher, you look at who the audio publisher is, and all that is available on. That information is available on Amazon if you sort by, um, audiobook, and that information is available on Audible if you click through on the um, click the picture, you know the the cover image, and you can go through and see that. So, but th- those things are important, and and it, it's really is it it it's things like you know going to APAC. Um, We lost you again. It's relentless. It is off. It has been off, but it's still going. So oh, it's your that. alarm again! <laughs> All right, can you hear me now? We can. <laughs> okay. So, so you were, you were
0: saying, uh, like oh, going yeah. to Apex so is another like thing. Going that's... to
1: Apex, yeah. So you know, I have certain people who are like, oh, well, I don't go, and I don't, I don't think that's important, or you know, why do I give them my money? What are they ever doing for me? And I always say to people like what aren't they doing? And like, like, you know, I always, I always use the analogy. I say, you know, my husband loves his, one of his favorite things to do is to drink with World War II vets because they tell the best stories. Mm. So he he's a member of the Elks Lodge because that is where they hang out. And so, you know, it's like, do you want this thing? Go where these people are, you know, it's, and, and mm. I, I always think like there's both with APA and with Pana, I hear people like, mm, well, I'll sign up when I see what they're going to do for me. I'm like, Participate in the process. Be a a vocal and proud member of your community. You know, like it's Mm -hmm. not that much money to join. Spend the money, do the thing, go to the thing, meet people, be a part of it, and don't sit around wondering why you're not working. (laughs) Sorry, that sounded super cranky. But I I, 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 think that's pretty stellar advice. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 to me, it's a no brainer, but you'd be, you'd you'd be surprised how many people are like, I I don't know. I I think it's just a difference of approach or a difference of perspective. But to me, to me, it's. Are you still there? Somebody just called me and I had to decline. Oh, okay. (laughs) Carry on. Sorry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, this might be a good time to, talk about you moving from narration to producing so how did it come about that you bought
1: mosaic well i started a so okay so you have to understand the time in which i came up was the last the very fringe end of the heyday of the of the old days of audiobooks. It's sort of think of it like the studio system where there was like a hundred or two hundred people doing all the audio narrating all the audiobooks and they were making mm-hmm. really good money mm-hmm. and they it was like little repertory companies. I don't think it was quite that because they were working for many different publishers, but you know, everybody had their favorites. There were people who'd work with Blackstone constantly do, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. 20 books a year for Blackstone, five for PRH or whatever. You know, they, everybody had their own their own little stable or their own little roster of people that there were mm-hmm. their favorites and, and they would use them over and over again. And, um, so I came in on the end of that, like I, this is before it was unionized and I was, you know, I came in with, with some hubris, I think, um, with this expectation that I, I was going to earn a certain amount because like, you know, I, I would always hear people say, I don't leave my house for less than blah. And, and <laughs> I'd be like, well, well okay so i have a minimum of what i make per hour for for voiceover so i'm going to ask for that and that, that i have a history proven history of making that and so i'm going to ask for that for my audiobooks and and i may i think i think it helped that i'd started out with some really you know top level publishers like i think you know mm-hmm. and and so i was able to command a certain amount of money by just negotiating well but then um then this was before the union came in. Then the union came in, and 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 I was part of the movement to unionize. We all felt mm-hmm. that was important. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was a it was kind of a weird, rough, rocky time. You know, people would say, "Well, you're unionized now. Uh, you you guys got what you wanted. You have health insurance, so you're at minimum." You know, and and so it, it took a long time for for that water to find its level. Right? Mm-hmm. It, was a, it was a huge, huge like um societal change in the industry and um so i just worked at union union level for you know a million years and 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 so but that union level went a little backwards for me because you know Mm -hmm. we did have Mm -hmm. to give a little and so i was narrating like 60 books a year and to make my nut you know and so um uh, I'm ev- forever grateful. I have some health issues and, you know, those have been taken care of by union health insurance. And I hope that, you know, I make my net every year until I'm on, was it Medi- Medicare? Um, mm-hmm. Until I qualify for Medicare. Um, I, we're so I, we're I, too young to know the answer to that. So we don't
0: know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. not that far away
1: though for me. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, you know, I'm, so I'm really grateful for that, but it was a it was a clunky transition for me as well. Right, so, um, and I was, you know, I was on the vanguard of people getting home studios. A lot of people were getting sent out. So my first jobs were I was sent out, you know, I was flown to Brilliance in Michigan. And I was, um, you know, was brought to um, Penguin Random House um, in Woodland Hills. And I had directors my first 1500 jobs. Oh, and um, I was brought to Mosaic, the company I actually, I finally bought. Um, I was sent there by um, by Blackstone. And uh, and I won a bunch of my first awards there uh, at Mosaic uh, with Zach Careys, who owned it at the time. Um, so I was a little bit demoralized because I was working way too hard. And I um, was doing some really, it was kind of like when Fifty Shades of Grey kind of ushered in um, a lot of like kind of hardcore, more sexual stuff. and. Um, there was a lot of horror. So when I first came in, I was doing these sweet little children's books and, you know, literary fiction and some memoir. And then suddenly I'm being offered like, you know, 12 year olds ripping each other limb to limb with their teeth because they've become monsters. And I was like, wow, this is not where I want to live. You know, it's fine. A lot of people love that stuff. It is not for me. I have more of an Anne of Green Gables sensibility. So, um, you know, I, I can be caustic and I can be very, um, I don't know what's the word. Um, you know, I curse a lot, but but under all of that, I have kind of a whimsical worldview. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. um, and which is funny because like there's the actor part of me and the writer part of me, and then there's the part of me that has to like lead a bunch of engineers into battle every day. And so it's almost like split personality. Like I'm a, I'm an Aquarius and a Leo and when I tell people that Leo Aquarius with Leo rising when I tell people that they're like, "Oh, now you make sense." To me. Which <laughs> I don't know all that much about it, but I think it's there's two very different kinds of people inside of me and, you know, mm-hmm. they come out based on what the job is. So anyway, so I was pretty uh, disillusioned at that time and I thought, "God, I really just I wanna go back to making art and making people happy and I remembered that feeling that I'd had when I was listening to a great audiobook that, you know, that had something uplifting to offer me. And so I started a publishing company, a little indie publishing company. I called it Ideal Audiobooks, and I got some really amazing material and um I narrated a bunch of it I hired people I was the first per- this I'm really proud of I was the first person to go to the union and say and request a union contract and then say no mm. I'd like to give the actors more and mm. and they wow. Jane told me once at a party that they've used that as the template for every indie that came after huh. me and I, I'm like if that's wow. if, that, if I'm gonna leave a legacy that's mm. a pretty good one <laughs> yeah. so you know um and and but it, it was hard to make a go of it you know I found mm. out later that like that people would talk to me later because once i became management management would talk Mm -hmm. to me and they'd be like amy don't you know you know you're you're spending all this money doing your you know your 25 books a year or whatever and then you really should be spending it all on that one big you know hunger games or whatever that's going to make your that's going to pay for your entire year but i was doing this out of pocket like i didn't have deep enough pockets Mm -hmm. so that business is still chugging on as a labor of love But I never quite had the infrastructure. I didn't want to give up control of it because I wanted to be able to pay people fairly. And I wanted to be able to, you know, take care of people. I wanted to try and put people in a studio any chance I could. And I wanted to do all these things that were not perhaps financially feasible. So um, pretty quickly, I realized this was not going to be how I was going to make my living. So um, it's a labor of love. I still do. uh, Well, I have to narrate actually a book for it. Uh, tomorrow, um, <laughs> i a little behind. Um, so it's it's still doing well, but it's not it's not a I, I would call it not as much of a current thing. So um so you know I do maybe two books a year, and so currently, um so I bought Mosaic Audio from Zach. He had decided that he wanted to move up to San Francisco and become a computer programmer, and I was that's I, a I yeah, I had become an engineer and a director at his studio, and I was directing Aaron Bennett that day. So I directed all of his, his uh, authors, and um, then I directed Aaron Bennett that day, and I said to Aaron, I really want to buy this. Now I know how to produce. Like, I can do this. And she was like, well, let's find a way. And I went to Starbucks to get some stuff, and then I came back, and I was like, I figured it out. So I, <laughs> I pitched I pitched DACA, you know, how I thought I could make it work. And um, he said yes, and so I moved into his rented house with a with a back house pool house in which he put two booths, and then pretty quickly after that, I realized I I want to record in commercial spaces. Like I want I want people to have good air conditioning, yeah. <laughs> and I want I want people to have a, a nice you know well appointed commercial professional space, and so even though we we continued you know i still put like my friends in there a lot and did that for a while until the pandemic we really i really wanted a place to put um you know we had a lot of very high-end celebrities coming in and i wanted a place to put them that you know that that honored that their stature and you know whatever industry that they were in and whether it was you know the movies or business or whatever and and i i wanted the working narrators to be able to have a good experience and so that i just kept trying to like better the situation of everybody involved and make it nicer and make it you know um and that was a little hard for me for a long time because so i forgot to make it better for me <laughs> well, i remember you <laughs> said that at an apac yeah. that you
0: were kind of looking to make yeah. a
1: space that you wanted that, that yes and you so had I've righted that ship, but it took me years and, and I had one guy step up and really kind of, kind of partner with me on the running of it. And then another guy stepped up on, um, doing, um, you know, a lot of the, um, day-to-day management. And so I still work like a dog, but it's, it's different. It's, um, like I'm doing, all, I'm doing all the casting and, um, I've been able to hire my friend Jessica, um, to help me. She's my casting assistant and, um, helps me with a lot with emails and stuff. And she, um, you know, she's always sourcing people and helping and, you know, i will be like, okay, I need this person. Can you find them? And you know, that kind of thing. She's been really amazing. And, and it's been wonderful to be able to work with her. She's been my, you know, my best friend since high school. And so, um, oh, wow. uh, so, so I have some support now. It's still way too hard of work, but it's, um, hmm. it's, it's manageable. And I have a team of my team right now is amazing. Like just, we have a no assholes policy. And so it's just, if if you're a hotshot or you're, you know, not going to be kind to people or, you know, you're, you know, you're going to think your method is more cool. So you're going to use that, even though we have reasons for you to use ours, like there's just no room for that. We don't have time and Mm. we want to work with nice people. And so the people that we've kept are just like what I call, they're good eggs to use a fifties term. You know, they're like Mm -hmm. kindly people who care and, care about the safety and the mental health of the narrators and like care about the jobs and getting it right. And it Mm. just feels, it it feels so good to have, it's just such an amazing core team. But that was part of it too, is after the pandemic, I, I made it a little smaller, made it a little tighter because we had an A team and a B team before the pandemic. And I was like, this is not how I want to do business. Like I wanted to be all A team, Mm. but you can't expand too broadly or you have to have layers of like, layers of management and you're Mm -hmm. divorced from your business and so Mm -hmm. right now we're in a growth spree again like we just we couldn't so it was like we weren't taking new clients really but we were taking but our old clients would like double their output and so um in some cases triple or you know in some cases like five more books a year in some cases like 200 more a year and so what i was like how do we you know coming around fall last year i was like how do we honor and take care of these relationships with these people without becoming too big and too spread out. And so we really just we it's taken it's it's been a little bit of a I don't know, it's I call it growing pains, you know, the last 6 months or whatever. We also had three of our studios flood, so that that was really fun. Oh. Um, during the the storms and so it's been it's been really brutal. It's it's been a tough tough 6 months for me. But we have been able to honor all of our commitments and we've been able to, um, you know, we've been able to bring everything to a close. We've expanded. We have more studios. Um, we fixed flooded studios. We expanded out. and But still with this, like, core team and a few carefully chosen new people. So I, it, it, was, it was real rough. But, it you know, just growing pains are always painful. And mm. But it was very, I feel so happy with where we are now. And I love our new studios. (laughs) Can't wait for everybody to come in (laughs) them. I mean, there's people in them now, (laughs) but for all of you, (laughs) and you can always here's a a shameless plug. You can always we work with everybody. We work with we even work with some of our competitors who don't live in town, and you know we send work to them and they send work to us and um are um we work with all of the publishers at least a little bit you know and some of mm-hmm. them quite a bit and so if you want to come in you mm-hmm. can ask for that and you know if you're local they can sometimes even if you're not local because we do remote record now that was one of the the gifts of the st- of the pandemic is we really created mm-hmm. a very um robust remote recording program but we we want people to come in we want them to have that experience like it's so much more powerful to do your work and, and satisfying mm-hmm. to do your work with someone at the helm and listening and you know watching out for you. So, it sounds like running Mosaic is
0: already three or four full time jobs. Yes, well, I fact, produce, I
1: direct, and, and you direct, I direct you're, you're like directing this week. That's many jobs a month. Yeah, yeah. And that's why we changed I was directing the time today. Thank you for that. So, Fortune was directing in New York, so we started at seven a.m. So, oh, okay. that was helpful.
0: Yeah. Well, but, when you um, said that, I thought, oh wow, you're getting up at you know, seven a.m. I didn't realize that you were remote directing. So that
1: yeah, that, helps that both helped. of you, totally. But- and then, um, and then I also cast, and um, and then you know, I still I'm still the CEO. <laughs> There's a lot of it's i it, I'm doing less of the nitty gritty like the um uh, the scheduling and stuff, but still a lot of the you know like like the AC went out in one of our studios, like you never want that to happen in the middle of summer, but it is a risk when you live in LA. So I had to handle that. And you know, there's just all kinds of things that come up. So Mm. So, I'm still the, I'm still the buck stops with me.
0: (laughs) Mm. Well, so you're doing your four four full-time jobs at Mosaic and then you're being a narrator. And somewhere along the way you said, hmm, I need to go to Hamlin University and get my master's in fine arts I mean yeah. I, I don't even know well, how and, to fit this there, in.
1: That one had a very specific title too. It's like um uh MFA in writing for children and uh writing for children and young adults. So it was very specific focus. Um yeah, so well I I mean I was honestly like I worked 18 to 20 hours a day for at least 4 or 5 years. Um the first easily five years of mosaic then it kind of went down to like 15 and it's kind of at a normal normal level now most of the time but um i um i was you know just shriveling up inside and i thought that and and um paul had you know stepped up and been helping me and i thought it was like the first moment i had two hours to like you know, to myself, I was like, I have some time. Uh, I'm going to go to grad school and study children because I'd always <laughs> wanted to write children's books, and I'd always written children's books, but I could never find my way because I hadn't studied writing. I hadn't even studied English in college. I mean, I took a few classes here or there. I didn't know how to write properly, and 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 I always was very hung up by not doing it right. Like I, I, have It's always been very important to me. Like people would say, well, why why are you killing yourself trying to be a professional performer like why don't you just do do like you know community theater and i was like from earliest childhood i remember my mom there was a woman in our hometown and she was amazing performer and um my mom said oh yeah she you know she had a professional career and she gave it up to marry a doctor and you know (laughs) and and, because that's what women did yeah, but, but she still was a baller. I mean, she was an amazing woman, and she did a lot for our theater community. So I don't know that in her mind she gave anything up. But in my young brain, that message stuck. And I was mm-hmm. like, no, I'm going to be a professional. And and it it both helped me and harmed me, right? So like I, I always sought credibility and getting to the top and getting to – that destination where I could be real and taken seriously and make money. And it was really important to me to make a living at what I did. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I think I gave up quite a bit too much. I, I don't think I would change my path because I was always restless. I have ADHD. I was always like seeking the next, you know, emotional high. <laughs> you know? And I was always seeking this way to express myself and, and in the most complete and, you know, satisfying way possible through performance. But I think, um, we give up so much, don't we? So for me, it was like, what can I give back to replenish my shriveled soul? So this was the thing that I wanted to give myself. And it, it, you know, it's funny, I think about it now, like it felt inevitable, like, like, this always felt like the, the thing that I dreamed about and yearned for the performing, mm-hmm. but the writing always felt like just who I was. And, mm. and, and it felt like, of course, someday I'm going to do this, but I can never figure out how to get there. And I really needed some, some serious training. And so I went to this one college first and, um, it, it didn't do it for me. They were really into the, like being, fancy, but they didn't, they, they didn't get down in the dirt with me and teach me stuff, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, as much, it was very presentational. So, um, I switched to Hamlin and it would, the, the lights came on and like, you know, the, 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 the music swelled and I, Mm -hmm. I got the experience that I wanted and I Mm -hmm. learned so much and I studied with these amazing people. In fact, some of my authors have come into my studio and I've been able to direct them Um, uh, one of my engineers is the son of an author that I went to school with and he's amazing. We love him. And, uh, and so like, there's been all these, and, and, and we do the books of so many of the authors that I studied with. Um, and so I'm able to like email them and be like, Hey, Hey, what did you mean about the, You know, I have a a direct line They're, you know, we're, Mm. we're contemporaries now. That was Mm. the most amazing thing I said to one of my teachers, like after school, I said, can I like hire you to teach me more and she goes amy you need to understand you have the same education that we do now like go out and become our contemporary and and i thought and well it was a very lovely thing to say it's still not true i still have miles to go but but
0: and don't it, take
1: credit from yourself i mean well, she's telling changed, you the truth yeah it changed the story it changed the perspective and mm-hmm. and so and it's been just fun to experience, you know, delivering their work and making it happen. And, and one of them, um, uh, Alana K. Arnold came in, I got to direct her on a like a forward and she was so amazing. And, and she'd been one of my favorite teachers. And so, um, so anyway, yeah, so I learned and I fell in love with um, graphic novels. I'd always loved picture books and I thought I was gonna be a picture book writer and a middle grade writer but I fell in love with graphic novels, middle grade graphic novels specifically, but all, really all of them. Um, it's such a particular and positive and powerful um, genre and form. It's like that you're getting people on the cusp of um, growing into themselves and mm-hmm. something about the combination of story and visual, you know, um, together um, kind of helps them get there. Like I think about Roller Girl, which is, one of the first ones that really spoke to me and how I would have loved that as a 10 or 12 year old and how it would have helped me. Um, but, but I had stuff like that as a kid too. We had these, mm-hmm. we had a lot of like childhood biography books in the library and my sister and I inhaled them and they really taught us how to be in the world. Cause it's like, you look at like, okay, how did Eleanor Roosevelt become Eleanor Roosevelt? What key things in her childhood gave her the strength and of character and um, the fortitude and the inspiration to be who she was as a grown-up. And so it, you know, it was really easy when you look at that to put the pieces together of like how to use courage and, you know, good sense and kindness and all of that stuff. And so it really taught me how to be a person and it taught me how to be, um, you know, a, an entrepreneur and it taught me how to not give up my sense of self. And so I hope to give that back. To the kids so when i was asked to write so this wasn't a, a, a traditional writing assignment so where you write the book you pitch it to an agent the agent pitches it to a publisher the book that i did is for capstone press and they are a um it's like a book packager is the the category that they're in so they come up with a series in this case the girls survive series and so it's like girls surviving 9-11 girls survive um uh well in my case the great fire of london um in 1666, you know, and, and they'd Mm say, Hey, we'd like to hire you to write a story um, about the great fire of London. And so they'd say, here's your parameters. She has to be between 10 and 12 and she has to survive on her own ingenuity and resourcefulness go. And so I had all the autonomy and um, creativity of building that story myself but with some guideposts, you know, it was mm-hmm. it's this many pages and, you know, you have to have this many panels per page and that kind of thing. So, um, but it was the same kind of style or genre or thing that I grew up with, like how these girls navigate an unfriendly world or a hazardous world and use their wits and determination and resourcefulness and kindness and initiative and inspiration to get through it. And so I feel like I'm carrying on this grand tradition, and it feels so wonderful. And also, I love that my first book—I didn't have to really market it. I mean, I am anyway, but <laughs> like, it's like this is someone else's responsibility. This is work for hire. They paid me well, and I got to write a great story that I'm really proud of. And it—it it, it, so it feels like a also a middle step, and you know, going from school to to writing professionally. It's a first foray into. Oh, wow that world. And and now they've hired me to write a book about Titanic and I'm midway through that one. Yeah. I'm really excited about that. Oh, that is wonderful. And I wondered
0: how you came up with the, the title of it. And I mean, the whole,
1: the whole, Oh, the city of of fire. Yeah, it's like it's like name and the something situation, and I I came up with all these titles I wasn't really happy with, and all of a sudden it just like burst into my head like a flame, and I was like, oh, Mm. that's a good title, Mm. so I pitched Mm. it to them and they kept it, and I was I was like super proud of that because I'm like that's a compelling title, you know, um, and and that's what it was like. I mean, this whole city was on fire, and it you know Mm. it's like walls of flame, and how do you navigate that? How do you get out? Well, and,
0: and it's set so, it in September ahead. 1666. That's what was really surprising, that you were choosing this moment in history. And I was wondering, is it was, It was, was it chosen real? for me,
1: yeah. <laughs> oh, it's real. <laughs> but it's, you know, and so I placed it with, um, you know, someone outside the city, so didn't know how to navigate it. So I, um, and this came to me so easily. And here's the thing, also about work for hire, like I didn't have to worry about, my legacy or if I was doing, you know, if this was the work of my heart or if this was the story I was born to tell or all of that, I didn't have to worry about any of that. My goal was to tell a great yarn mm. in an efficient manner that would draw people in and take them somewhere and give them some, you know, information. And so, um, and make them feel something. And so it, it took away all the stuff that makes you it gives you writer's block and makes you nervous and makes you second guess yourself. And the story just came to me in a flash and I didn't change very much about it, except in my research, I added a chimney sweep. Um, it's, a, I think it's important to have, you know, a, a boy character too, you know? Mm. And so I gave her, um, you know, someone to, to journey on this with her. And and so, um, you know, some things came out of my research, but the story itself just kind of came to me fully formed and it did as well on the Titanic. Mm. I said interesting I've spent weeks second guessing myself and thinking I needed to change it and then I was like no this is a good story it's a good outline I like I like where it's going you need to trust yourself and so this has been a real growing experience and learning you know how to trust myself as a writer and then I need to apply that to my work like I have you know I have a completed graphic novel that I I I stopped pitching to agents during the pandemic but I need to get back to it. It's about the, it's set in the gold rush and, um, and I, I love it and I'm proud of it. And so I need to, I need to get back to it. I've, I've learned some things I have, I have another rewrite to do and I have, uh, I need to get my courage together to go out there into the, the big unknown of, you know, pitching to agents and then getting a publisher. But, um, it's, uh, it's a world I want to keep living in, you know, historical Mm. fiction and graphic novels.
0: I just updated the pin link to show, to, to go to your book, Kate and the oh, City thank of you. Fire. And, <laughs> and I love that it's, you know, it's about a courageous girl and, um, the, the, the series is Girls Survive. I mean, I, I love the whole theme to it. Oh yeah.
1: It's a great series. And they, they, they have a whole series of, of prose books. Um, this, this is their first foray into this series being a graphic novel. And I think three others came out, um, Gemma and the Great Flu, Paulina and the Disaster at Pompeii and Ting and the Deadly Waters. Um, so um this is their I and mean, they've done graphic novels but not in this particular series. So this is I was kind of kind of fun to be on the vanguard of this new thing for them. Um, yeah. And well, to get I... to do more. So, I, yay, they liked me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's always nice to be asked back. <laughs> and, and it also speaks to the, the education I got because they were mm-hmm. like, look, we really like the way you structure these. We, we think you understand the form. And, and that really speaks to the quality education that I got. at him. Well, in the annals of
0: your Facebook feed, I found on April 11th, 2020, you wrote, "I took a class in writing graphic novels from Jim Higgins at the Society of Illustrators, L.A." Oh yeah, <laughs> and remembered I used to be an artist, and so I think you were starting to draw. Where you are you seeing yourself doing the illustrations for future graphic novels you write?
1: I really hope hmm. so. That's a great question. Um, ah. Yes, this wonderful, wonderful woman. Um, I will read from the back of the book, um, Alessia. Tr- Trinifio um, from Rome, Italy um, who did animation um, was hired to do the art for this book um, and she did a beautiful job I loved, she she created like, some little like wonderful moments with the animal characters and just really brought it to life and she, I'm so proud to have worked on it with her uh, we've never met but um, it's, it's just been really fun um, but you know I had a great education and background in, in art, I could easily have become an artist if I'd gone that way. But you know, I was so, I was so desperate to, I had so much, I felt like maybe this is the ADHD, but also I think it's just frustrated performer, you know, I had so much passion and creativity and love and like something to say that I really just mm-hmm. wanted to burst into the world with. And I, I I did not think for me that art was the way to do that. Like I, it was going to be performing or it was going to be nothing. And Mm -hmm. so I just let this all go to the side and I've been working on it again. And I can see how like the good training that I got in high school. I had some really good teachers. One was my dad actually taught us from drawing on the right side of the brain when I was in his sixth grade class. Um, But yeah. And, and then I had a great art teacher in high school and I drew all the time but also one of my um, close friends was an artist. And so I think also that was like, you know, we each had our own lane, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And so like, and she was clearly miles ahead of me. So that, it just was like, but I think it was more that I just wanted to perform more. And I had, you know, <laughs> this thing is too hard. You can't be like, oh, I'm gonna, you can be all the things, but maybe not at the same time and not mm-hmm. in the beginning. <laughs>
2: You know, and so <laughs>
1: yeah. I remember going to a cabaret of Udo Lemper, who is just like one of the goddesses of singing. She's um, a German singer and does a lot of Viel show, Kurt Viel shows, and she just is an international star. And in a in a world that barely exists anymore, she does concerts, cabaret style concerts, but like on main stage shows. Like I saw her first at the um, the San Francisco Symphony and during a pops show, and I remember I was like maybe. 20, and I remember reading the program. I still have it. I wish I had it on me. It's, I'm going to totally like overblow it, and this is going to be inaccurate, but it was read something like, like, I don't know, and her paintings have recently been shown at the Louvre, and someone just created a movie for her to star in, and her poetry chat book. And I mean, it was just like, whatever, like anything you can imagine wanting to do as a creative person, like she did it at a high level, and she was killing it at the one thing I most wanted to do in the world, which was singing. And I remember reading the program and being like, I, I went to my, my friend and mentor who was my speech coach. And I said to her, like, oh my God, look at this. Look, it's proof. It's proof. You can do everything. Look at this. I found it. And, and she was like, when I read that, I just feel horrible because I'm not doing any of these things. So I was like, no, 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 no. Look, you can do it. I'm <laughs> and am tired. And, and I feel and... tired hearing all that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I just felt inspired. But what I realized is, you know, she had a few years on me. And maybe she was more talented and maybe had more resources or whatever it was, how she got there. But now I'm seeing, like, if you go in waves and phases, you know, it's possible um it's going to take me a long time to get where i'm going with art and maybe i will never do my own graphic novels i don't know but i at least would like to do my own picture books which is no less difficult but Mm. is i think more accessible to my particular skill set at this moment so Mm. i I think that is the the thing i'm going to shoot for first and then graphic novels and you never know it's possible um and that's all i I mean it's possible you know yeah
0: yeah well and you're already doing the things you, you yeah. you're already a narrator you're already a production company owner you're already a <laughs> producer you're now now you're an author and yeah we're just wondering what's next
1: probably the art uh, What what's next for me is i think finding a way to do less of the detail work for my business and more of the ceo work because i'm still really immersed in the day-to-day i mean You kind of have to be when you're a small company. So I have to find a way to balance my time. Um, Maybe there's some tasks or duties or categories of things that I can give up. And then I have to do some real hard work on myself to let go of doing those things. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't, right now I can't, I know it needs to happen, but I can envision, can't envision yet how it's going to happen and how I'm going to, and you know, it's, you can't run a company totally hands off, right? You have to have a certain level of investment and involvement. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, how do I navigate that without losing anything without, without sacrificing the quality for my clients without, but, but it needs to happen. That shift needs to happen. Cause I want, I'm, I really would love to spend my mornings working on my art and writing my, my cozy mysteries and my, children's books and graphic novels, and then dip into producing, you know, at lunchtime and dip into it in the evening. But right now that's not possible. So I, I, you know, right now my, my art and my writing are coming in the cracks, but I can feel, I can feel that gap is opening and needs to be filled with that. Like it's, do you remember, um, do you remember Darby O'Gill and the little people? Do you remember that Disney movie? No. (laughs) Um, it's like, uh, Darby gets stuck and, you know, he's like a, he's kind of a, I guess it's, it's, I'm not, I'm probably not pronouncing this right. I'd have to look it up, a wastrel, you know, and a drinker and he set, he goes for the leprechaun's pot of gold. And then there's this crisis moment where King Brian of the leprechauns shuts the the cavern and you see the, like the, the cave walls shutting and he's going to be stuck there forever, cursed by the leprechauns. And like, he's riding his horse frantically and trying to get out. I feel, I feel, I don't feel trapped. That's not it. But I feel this, that sense of urgency of the, the, Mm -hmm. the cave door is now cracked open Mm -hmm. and I cannot let it shut before I move through it into Mm -hmm. this next thing. And I have to do that while still retaining this other thing, and so that's for me. I have no idea how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's my big, you know, change that's well, happening now that needs to
0: happen. We we've almost uh, used all our time with you, and I want to be respectful of it, but I can't let oh, you get you. away without answering a pit stop, hot seat question.
1: Oh, and okay. since <laughs> we're just talking about art,
0: I, since we're just <laughs> talking about art, um would I would like to know if you were a postcard what would it depict
1: uh it would depict a douglas fir tree um a, a douglas fir tree um in set in the gold rush hmm. maybe like it was an a, illustration for that book maybe with a golden retriever next to it oh <laughs> but I would be the tree No. <laughs> wow
0: because I thought this was the illustration or cover art for the book that you said. No, no, that that was just
1: a, that was just a really abstract portrayal of who I am in the world (laughs) (laughs) and what I'm thinking, stuff I'm thinking about right now.
0: (laughs) But I, like I say, I do want to, to be respectful of your time. Is, is there a way people can get in contact with you? Would-
1: oh, sure. I mean, if you want to go over, I can go over. I have, um, I just have to do some stuff after, but I'm, you know, or if you need, if you would like to extend it, I can extend it. Um, if not, um, if you, if you are uh, not necessarily available for questions per se on the side, but um, if people want to um, pitch to me as narrators, um, they can reach me at amy at um, And they should also copy Jesse uh casting at mosaicaudio.com. Um and I probably won't reply, but we pay attention and we log this stuff and we, we're working on a big database now. We're finally I'm like, this is too big now to get to get um, this is too big now to stay in my head <laughs> we need need a database. So Jesse's been building that all year and we're we're very near the point where we're gonna like ask people to self, you know, self submit and of that, but we just have a few more infrastructure pieces to put in place, but they can um, reach me at any time there. I don't recommend more often than like once every three months, unless you really have something important to tout or need to reach me, but, um, but that's usually a good cycle. Or if you know me really well and you want to do it more often, that's fine too.
0: Well, after this hour today I think we all know you pretty well.
1: <laughs> yeah, I never hold I don't hold back. <laughs> but it's a gift it's and a lovely. curse. It's lovely. But well, I thank I, you for having me
0: in. Oh well I'm just so thrilled we could and on the week of your book release, what did you do or are you going to do to celebrate?
1: Oh, that is a good question. Um Well, uh, I don't have any children, so I took I took a book over to my little neighbor, the the neighbor kids, and they helped me celebrate. Everybody was like oohed and odd and got excited, and their their moms and children's book writer as well. And so she was really she she properly understood the significance. And um, you know, I sent one to my mom and my you know my auntie and my sister and everybody. And um, I think. I have one in at two different bookstores, and I think I'm going to go in with a friend to each bookstore and like take a little picture. Uh, not, nothing you know, hugely significant. Mostly, what oh. I'm going to do to celebrate is write my next book and finish it and send it in. That will be the right thing to do to celebrate.:
0: <laughs> Are you going to go in and sign those books at the bookstore?
1: Oh, well, I suppose if they have any, I will offer to sign them. That's a great idea. I think you should.
0: <laughs> That's a good like, idea. Like, I'm here. I would just love to sign these. But, in fact, they they would probably could do a little promo. Like, you could come in on Saturday yeah. and like people I, could
1: meet you. You never know. Yeah, I um, my neighbor, has a um, she homeschools, and she has a group of homeschoolers. And she's like, we'll have you in. <laughs> so it'll be fun. Um, but, oh, well, I'm, I guess I'm going to book club tonight. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, are, yeah, you so book, a, are you taking it for no. show and tell? Oh, I probably should. That's actually a yes. great idea. Yeah, you're yeah. right. That's a good idea. Cool. <laughs> Thank you. You think of all that. You think of all the good things.
0: <laughs> uh, Promotions—the
1: name of the game, girl. You know that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um,
0: but we have kept you long enough and so it is time for everybody to get back on the road so back you know, to worried. work,
1: back to their narration. <laughs> well not thank not, you not for coming on the East
0: Coast. <laughs> it's it's dinner time. There's no more work time here, but uh <laughs> I love a
1: world in which you get to break for dinner and then you're done for the day. Right. <laughs> right. I'm for that world. <laughs> well you can make uh, well, it happen. You. Mm-hmm. you know, you guys were so kind to ask me in and to to offer to celebrate and You guys know how to, you know, you know how to live it up. So thank you. I appreciate this opportunity to share. (laughs) I'm just so thrilled
0: you could come and that you could make it this week because it's just, it was just perfect timing. Yeah. And thanks for changing the time for me. I appreciate that. So happy to do that. So happy we could work that out. And uh, this recording is going to be available on Clubhouse later today and in the near future, probably sometime next week. Oh, cool. I'll post it with a transcript on Narrator's Roadmap. And I'm thrilled oh, to so report nice. as of today, Pit Stop is coming soon to your favorite podcast platforms. So oh, we actually got them launched nice. out into the world, uh, the the first several of them. So that's pretty exciting. Wow, that's really exciting.
1: Yeah. Um, I can't wait to hear more about it. <laughs> well. That's very cool. Well, I know you do such amazing things with Narrator's Roadmap. We are all so grateful for that. Um, oh, thank it, you. You know, it's just so helpful when we have serious narrators who are new, but also when we have non-serious people who are like, get rich quick. And we're like, really? You think so? Here, let's, why don't you check this out? And Once you've read every single article and watched every single video and coached with a few people, then we'll talk, you know, it's, well, it's just so amazing. It's kind of really separates the chaff from the wheat, you know, and uh, I send them to you and I send them to narrator.life. And I say, okay, if you're serious, these are the places you're going to go and this is how you're going to start. But it's so nice not to have to teach every random stranger in an email or a phone call. You know, nice. well, I, I it's a, appreciate it's so a relief, that. you know, and it, and the, it does separate the chat from the wheat. The people who are really, mm. we just dilettantes looking to make a quick buck are like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and then the people who are like, this, this is exciting. I can't wait to dive in more. Then they have an avenue. You know. So right. it's really are you, noticing, a uh, are you noticing
2: a big influx of new narrators, Amy? Have you seen any uh
1: since seg after strike? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yet. kind of too I, I mean, a couple of people. I mean I've I've had some people want to come in and um uh engineer. Um mm-hmm. but I just, you know, hired a bunch of people so the timing was off. Um but uh, you know, people who are usually in TV, um mm-hmm. or film and then not too many. I have one, uh, one celebrity that I've been mentoring because she's very serious. Like she came in the first day and was like, I want to do this for real. And I was like, mm. okay. And she had <laughs> mad skills. Um, uh, Mara Wilson, she had, she was just really good. And I was so lucky I got to direct her on her first like five books. Mm. And, you know, so I said to her, like, you're the real deal. You have been doing the work you've been putting in the time, you're a celebrity, but you've also been, mm. you've been doing the work you've been putting in the time and you're, Prowess has just grown in leaps and bounds in this particular art form. Like there's, Mm -hmm. you know, now's the time for you to say, I've been here doing the work, you know, (laughs) because there are going to be a lot of celebrities coming in who do deserve to be here, many of them, but haven't put in the time and who haven't, you know, who haven't had that dedication and that interest up until now. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, the people who are doing that, who are in that category, now's the time to like say, we've been here, we're one of you, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's important for them because they, you know, they're for real. They did this, Mm -hmm. they did their Mm -hmm. time, you know. And it's going to take everybody else a long time to catch up to what, to the kind of output and prowess and um, skill and you know understanding of the industry is like that all the working narrators have had all these years. So I don't think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be a big influx unless this carries on for a long time.
2: Hmm. But that's a very interesting perspective a very valuable perspective i hope it's comforting because
1: i know people it are is. worried like oh god mm-hmm. is everybody to take our jobs and i'm just not i'm not seeing i mean we've always had I and mean, you were a studio oh. that caters to you know high-end narrators to authors and celebrities and so that's been always a oh. very large part of our work but and and, and you know there are many that are Amazing, you know, just authors. I wish I could just hire, you know, they're so good, but you know, that's not their field. And so, um, but but our job is to get them to a professional level, like within the first hour, you know, <laughs> <Wow>. so so <laughs> we're experienced, yeah, we're experienced at working with them, but I haven't <laughs> seen the flood that maybe everybody has been fearing.
2: Mm, that is very comforting,
1: yeah, yeah, I hope so, I hope so.
2: But things are what they are. And, you know, it, there are always, it doesn't matter what field you're in, nothing ever stays static. So you have to keep up. Keep on your game. It's and so
1: true, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's why, I think one of the questions that um, Karen sent me is, what do you advise for people looking for change? And I think that was one of your pre-questions you sent. And I would say, you know, take your curiosity. Take your existing fields or moments or um, the things that pull you, the things that you feel are missing. The the whole reason that I, I made this transition is that because there were things that were missing or broken in the industry. I Mm -hmm. saw this possibility. I took a class with Michelle Cobb and I thought, Whoa, there's a path. I can fix the things that are wrong. I am empowered to do something about this and create change. Like, And so, you know, Michelle mentored me into doing that and, you know, um, but it came out of my curiosity. It came out Mm -hmm. of my dissatisfaction. It came out of my passions and enthusiasm and the particular perspective that I brought to this world. So Mm -hmm. I'd say to people like really dig in and explore yourself and, and follow this little, the tickle, the little glimmer of something that's calling out to you and, You know, think about the things that are dissatisfying to you. Do you you have the ability to fix them? How could you fix them? How could you contribute? Or, you know, there's just so many ways in which you can contribute and and bless and benefit the industry that you're in. Even if it's just like mentoring new people, there's, you know, there's the APA has that a DEI mentorship. And I believe PANA does as well. Like these are ways that you can give back, that you can solve problems, mm-hmm. that you can close gaps that you're worried about, you know, and, and, and those things could turn into a vocation or an avocation, or just simply be something that you do to add value. You know, you're there, you might as well mm-hmm. add value, you know, beyond yeah, what you're doing yeah. for a living,
2: yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know. So. Yeah, your video for
1: one. the APA,
0: for the casting video that you did. That was really excellent. Sorry, oh, I, thank didn't, I didn't you. mean getting
2: wrong. That's okay. No, no, but um, Amy has always been so wise, and uh, I mean the fact that you th- even thought to reach out to Michelle because you were one of the earliest kind of entrepreneurs.
1: I would say with narrator yeah. entrepreneur, you were. I, th- um, I was actually well, no, Scott Burke was before me, but I think I was the first to try and start a like full on company. Um, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I knew I, I knew too. Like I had to get out fast and hard because mm-hmm. you know Scott Brick had been established before me. But like I knew if somebody was going to do this one thing, they had to get out hot and they had to get out fast, you know. And and mm-hmm. so I made a big splash when I came out, and it it really helped me. It helped people perceive me as a producer, so that when I made that pivot, because I got a lot of press, a lot of good press, good reviews for my books initially, and so that helped me pivot. When I was ready to say I'm a producer, people already perceived mm-hmm. me as a producer because I had I had gotten that press, and so I knew that was super important for establishing what I wanted to do, which was to be a producer in the traditional model, which was going away, you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm. And you to preserve the last buy... days of that model, you know, and and, right. and uphold the 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 quality and the, yes. the gifts that it provided for narrators.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm full of admiration for you because, you know, like I said, I come back to this—the wisdom of the thing. Because it's fine to have knowledge and can-do spirit and and all of that, but you have always had a vision. And not only do you have a vision, yeah. but you have the skill to navigate towards that vision and make that vision a thing. And then the or things that to get that.
1: skills. What a yeah. nice way to put it. I think that is true. I think that vision mm-hmm. has been a real guiding mm-hmm. light for me. Mm-hmm. yeah and, and, and a this, desire you know to yes. to, to yeah. fulfill it yes and thank you you've for known. noticing that well you were one of my first friends we <laughs> go way back yes, we, do. We, do. Apex, we do apex apex of your.
2: yes yes and bathrooms <laughs> of your, and, and goodness knows <laughs> yeah that's
1: yeah. where all the good conversations are happening in i know i know and I, I remember
2: you telling me about you know your idea for your company when it was just a twinkle in your eye Oh, I don't remember that. I love that you remember yeah. that. Oh, of course How I cool. do. It, well, yeah. I mean, Lord, I, I, if I had any gumption, I should have done something like that. It's a hard
1: path, though. It's not. It's funny. I had someone call me and they were like, what should I do to do this? And I was like, is there anything else you could possibly do with your life? <laughs> Please go do that. You know, like it, it was it has been a very hard, hard, painful road. But but. Also I think the vision you're right mm-hmm. holding that vision in front of me mm-hmm. like a beacon has been the saving grace because I had a mission that I wanted to accomplish and I think all of my team members are people who hold to that vision of of quality and caring and like you know taking care of the industry and preserving the quality and preserving the the methods and you know, it's a craft, it's an art, but it's also a craft. And I think that really helped me get through how tough it was, but don't get me, don't get me wrong. It's tough. Like it's, it's almost impossible. And, and, you know, I've had some help along the way. I've had some guides, I've had some moments of, you know, grace where, you know, people have come through for me at the last minute, or I've found the path, but it, it's, um, I don't know. I, it was very much the hero's journey with all the pitfalls and, you know, you you know, that that trajectory and that arc and yeah, how, how 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 th- <laughs> fraught it was. I felt like I was in, you know, I felt like i was Bilbo Baggins, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yes. so, yeah. I, it's, so I don't recommend it for the faint of heart. <laughs> no, no, no. And, and obviously, with all the changes that are being made too, like that path is going to look really different for somebody else. You
2: know. What was your path, Amy? Can you give us just a kind of—I know you can't tell us every twist and turn—but what was the basic of it? Was it starting first by you had a conversation with Michelle, or was it something
1: else? It—it um, it really just came out of me. I, I really ruminate on things, and I think a lot about. I write a lot about, like, what, how can I solve this problem? No, it was. I think it's kind of all the things that I said, like just just worrying over how to fix things that weren't working, and how to how to get where I was going, and how to mm-hmm. how to make things happen that weren't happening. You know, nice. like the inspiration for the for ideal was there was all these amazing books that weren't being produced at that time. That has changed. And also, I really thought, I really felt like the, there was a lot of discontent among the narrators for the type of weird books that we were doing. And I was like, gosh, I just want to, if the narrator's having a great day with a great book and the proper mm-hmm. support, the audience is going to have a great day mm-hmm. listening to it. And so it was this sort of feeling of like, if we have a holistic process, everyone's going to benefit. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. That was sort of a jumping-off point.
2: Yes. Well, and I wanted to put in go a back nutshell
1: <laughs>
2: your <laughs> your point about
0: following your curiosity is part of the reason that Anne and I started doing these Clubhouse shows because there are a lot of people that we wanted to have these good conversations with. And speaking of that, so Anne, who's coming up tomorrow as the guest on
2: Narrator Uplift? It's Jess Herring. The Empress and creator of the audiobook Empire. Empress, I love that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd thought of that. <laughs> That's
0: brilliant. <laughs> well, you, you can be the majesty of Mosaic Audio. Oh! <coughs> <coughs> love it. So you're all choked oh. up
1: about it. <laughs> oh, that sounds really fun, you guys. I can't wait to listen. Oh, all right, I'm going to have to sign off because I'm going yep. to probably have a coughing fit soon. So. <laughs> Um, how, do well, I, how do I sign off?
0: Well, I'm going to close the room in just a second and that will take you off. Oh, perfect. Thank you. You do all <laughs> um, the
1: hard work. I appreciate right, it.
0: Right, <laughs> right. So we are ending Pit Stop and I hope everyone will take another road trip with us on August 16th when we talk with audiobook narrator and singer Aaron Bennett. And in the meantime, I hope you all find joy in every journey and live the life of your dreams. Thanks again to Amy Rubinate for this delightful conversation, and congratulations again on your Yay. first
1: your first Thank book, you. but Yay. we know more are coming. Thank you for celebrating yeah. with me. And oh, everyone so listen to Erin Bennett. She's one of my dearest, oldest friends, and you're going to love everything she has to say because I know oh. I do. Well,
0: right. <laughs> yeah. All right. And, and, And thanks thanks again to Ann Flosnick for your questions and great support. And to all of you in the audience for spending your time with us this afternoon. I hope you have a wonderful week and we'll look forward to seeing you soon.